Welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, headmaster of Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome back to Accord of Three Strands. We have been discussing in this season of the podcast that you desire to rebuild, Mr. Young, or even build a new culture, one that glorifies God. But how, how do you start? How, do, how does one go about doing this? Well, that's a great question, Noah. As you all might think that the three strands of the cord that we'll focus on are the church school and home, that the beginning of a new culture comes from the reform of, you know, one of these three strands. Well, in all honesty, it's that those three things need to be reformed, but they need to be reformed through a central, um, a central thing (laughs) that um, the culture revolves around and, um, and it's worship. In other words, um, I, I want to bring cult back into culture. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do we mean by worship? I mean, is it, is it just like, I mean, does one just, uh, I mean, and again, for those listening who are unfamiliar, is it just about singing better worship songs? Yeah, no, it's not about rehashing the, the worship or like, you know, <laughs> what kind of, you know, guitars or drums or something. Yeah. Um, so it's not about singing. It's a good question. So uh, might be a better question might be, what do you mean by worship? So if you go to the dictionary and look up worship, uh, Webster says this, uh, a, the reverent love and devotion, according to a deity, an idol or sacred object. Um, their second definition says the ceremonies, prayers, or other religious forms by which this love is expressed. Right. And so this is why we think of it as being, you know, the, the singing is worship and, and those, those aren't great definitions um, if we look at the biblical words, right? right? So the, the Bible's definitions are, you might say, the Hebrew word shaha means to bow down. Likewise, the Greek word uh, proskunema means to bow or to prostrate oneself, prostrate oneself um, before another person or to, before God. So the, the idea of worship biblically is this acknowledging authority. It, it, so to worship, as Paul talks about, you know, the, the um, you know, we're t- uh, our, our spiritual sacrifice, right, of, uh, of worship has to do with um, obedience, right? Mm. So if we acknowledge God to be God and the authority in our lives, we we bow down before him, meaning that we submit ourselves to, to him. Gotcha. So um, 
so worship, you know, um, it, it has to do with that authority. Um, and, you know, we do sing in worship because God is our authority and the songs we sing could be a great way of, you know, acknowledging his authority or responding to his authority. Um, but let me, let me get to the kind of the point of it, right? So if we go back to Genesis, you know, I know that you're going to hear this a lot uh, during season one of uh, a quarter three spans, everything, we get everything from Genesis. So um, back to Genesis two. So when God made man and made him in his image, he put him, he placed him into a garden uh, to work it, to take care of it. Right. And we talked about this already, the, the idea of dominion, right? Why are we made in his image? Well, to have dominion. What does mm-hmm. dominion mean? It, it's this uh, ordering of things. We make things, we name things, we, we order things just like God did. We judge things, we evaluate things. But you'll notice that what God did was he put in the very middle of the garden, the center of human existence, two trees, right? Yeah. Two trees. You have the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- this sets up and I know I always get questions from students like, why did he put that tree of knowledge of good and evil? Yeah. I said, well, it's, it's about worship, right? In that you are acknowledging the fact that you are receiving from God, the knowledge of good and evil. God has, and only God is able to tell us what is good and what is evil. And uh, Adam and Eve, in their pride, wanted to be like God in that way, yeah. right? So they were made in his image. And so they were like God in, in their dominion capabilities. Mm-hmm. But the idea was, is that they were to acknowledge that God is the one who is determining what is good and evil. And by taking of that fruit and eating, they have now moral autonomy. They are deciding for themselves. And human beings, we, we've all inherited it. So all of us as human beings have this desire, this sin nature that wants us to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. We want to, we'll do things, even the things that we know are evil. Mm-hmm. We'll do them and then try to justify them because we're God. So we, by nature, want to be like God. Yeah. By, by our fallen nature. Our fallen nature, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we're not content with the God-likeness that he has given us and want to go beyond that. We, we want to um, determine, again, for ourselves what is good and evil. So the idea here with the trees is, is in the middle of their life, in the middle of their garden, in the middle of all that they do, in the midst of it, is this tree where we are to acknowledge that God has said, do not eat of this. And the response of, the, of human beings is to, um, in faith, trust his word and obey. And in gratitude, take and eat of the tree of life that was given to us, communing with God and living forever. Right? Yeah. So think about it. Does this sound familiar? To hear his word, to, to in faith, right? Trust that word, obey that word, and in gratitude, take and eat and commune with God forever. Wow, that, that sounds a lot like worship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was from the very beginning in the garden. Human beings were to worship. They were to shaha, that is to bow down or to acknowledge that God is God. We're not. We're his image bearers, but we're not God. We trust his word, his voice, 
and um, and in obedience and in faith, we don't eat of that tree of knowledge, good and evil. And instead, we take and eat of the tree of life and enjoy communion with God forever. That was the whole intent. Now, worship has been messed up yeah. because there's sin. So what God did was he didn't leave us on his, on our own, right? He, um, he provided a, a sacrifice. So again, if you look at Genesis three, after uh, the fall has happened and God confronts them and they, 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 you know, okay, because you did this, the, here, the, here, the, here's the penalty, um, but also here's the consequences, right? There are consequences to it that aren't necessarily God doing it. It's just, this is what happens when you become morally autonomous. Yeah. Um, life is going to be hard. Right. There's going to be since you don't trust God anymore, um, there's going to be pain in all your life giving and sustaining activities. Right. So pain is increased in childbearing. You know, if there was no fall, if everything was perfect, it would still be hurt to squeeze a baby out. Yeah, it would just hurt. It just there's pain, but pain's not bad. Pain is a good thing and tells you when to push and all that. Um, You know, I personally didn't find labor that hard. (laughs) Um, but, but, um, yeah, my wife, uh, my wife, uh, did find it a bit uh, painful. Um, and, um, but, but the idea here is, is that because of sin, there's this cutting off from the creator and, and there's this anxiety, this anxiousness that comes and this increases that pain, right? Mm -hmm. This, this pain, uh, if there was no fall, Every child you had would be well and, and every mother would be safe. After the fall, we don't know. We don't know if that child's going to be okay. We don't know if that child's going to come to term. We don't know if that child's going to die. We don't know if the mother's going to make it. We don't know. It, it, there's this anxiousness about life-giving activity. Mm-hmm. In the same way, before the fall, Adam can do, go and he can uh, plant the seeds, uh, p- you know, put things in the ground. And he knew he would get a crop. He yeah. knew he would be able to eat and they would sustain their lives and everything would be great. Mm-hmm. But after the fall, we don't know. The thorns might choke it out. The birds might come and eat it up. Yeah. Right. The, I, I, I'm always uh, reminded of uh, Little House on the Prairie books. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. How many times did Pa? You know, it's almost time to harvest the wheat. This big hailstorm comes. And it's like, oh, we're going to die unless I go to town and find a job. Right. Right. The, uh, the, the, the corn's almost ready. And then all of a sudden all these blackbirds come and eat it up. And it's like, <laughs> oh, no, we're going to die unless I go to town. And I mean, it happened continually. Yeah. Right. So so life has been in most uh, times and places in human history filled with anxiousness and pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it there's just this uncertainty about all of life. Well, what, what's the way out of it? Well, it's to be reconnected with the creator and to trust him. Mm -hmm. Right. Why why should we shouldn't care? We should cast all our anxieties on him. He cares for us. And, and we should, um, we should trust him. Right. That that just, we should just trust him. Yeah. Right. We should trust him with everything, including, and especially what's right and wrong. Right. What's good and evil. Right. Right. Um, just trusting his word. He um, so he gave us prophets. He gave us um, uh, he gave us the law. Right. Then then, of course, um, he gave us his son. 
mm-hmm. who was the embodiment of it all. He fulfilled the law. He taught us how to live. He, he taught us how to, um, you know, that, that the law's requirements you, you can't do because you're a sinner. Yeah. Right. right. Um, the, the covenant that he had made with uh, the, uh, the people and following the law, you, you can't do um, what you need is a new heart. And so he sent his, the son came, he died on the cross as the fulfillment of the, the ceremonial laws, sacrifices that are no longer done. He's given us his Holy spirit. His spirit works in our heart to change our hearts. Cause that's really the issue, mm-hmm. right? It changes our heart and uh, that we might know and trust God more that we might lead a life of more and more obedience. Um, we call it sanctification and, and just to be clear to everyone, I am, a, um, uh, I am not saying that somehow we're becoming morally perfect. That's impossible. Um, a life of following Jesus is always a life of repentance because we were always going to be a sinner mm-hmm. until the Lord comes again and we are glorified. So sanctification is progressive. We, we, he does work in our heart. We do overcome sin. Um, it, we have victory but it's not complete until he returns. But th- this goes back to now the culture idea, right? So back to the, back to culture where we're getting at what the center of our lives needs to be this idea of worship, mm-hmm. right? Um, I personally need to bow before God and acknowledge that he is my authority. Mm-hmm. He is the one who determines what is right and wrong. He needs to be the one that tells me um, what I should and should not do. Not mm-hmm. me. Yeah. <laughs> my sinful desires will always tell me what I should do. And it's always for my benefit. Yeah. Right. Uh, not for the benefit of the King. Right. Jesus. It's, yeah. it's not for him. It's, it's typically for me. And, and often what, what people do is that we will take, he will even take his word and we'll use it to justify our own desires. Right. Right. <laughs> right. We use it to justify our own desires rather than um, use it to, to guide what we ought to do and to to then humbly bow ourselves before that word that tells us that we're a sinner and repent and, you know, yeah. and and turn anew to him. Um, our whole culture, I, we talked about this, I think, last season or last um, uh, episode about the American culture and how, you know, it, 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 a lot of it, our laws and, and many things were, were founded or uh, based upon uh, people say British common law, but British common law was built upon in essence, the throughout the middle ages, the Christianization of the laws of the angles and angles and Saxons and, and and Normans and, and, and such, Um, you know, that's, that's why you have people like Alfred the great. Why is he Alfred the great? Well, he took Saxon law and Christianized it. Yeah, right. right. You know, th- there's this been over the time of of the the laws of the land reflecting God's laws, and since about the 1960s, I mean, you can go earlier than that. Uh, you know, Jim Crow laws and other things like that were the, that were clearly unbiblical. But it, it's been our our culture has been uh, adamantly going against God's laws in uh, shaping our laws and our culture to go against what God has said is good mm-hmm. and, and to be, you know, Hey, yeah, we should be able to kill children in the womb. And as if that's some sort of moral good, right? That, well, that's evil. 
right? Who do we trust God in his word? Or do we trust like the individual desires and circumstances and self-justifications of of things? Yeah. Right. It's gotta be God. God needs to be at the center. His word needs to be the center of our culture. Yeah. You know? So when when I say, you know, the, the three strands, right. Yeah. Um, Which I think are the, the, the first things, these are the, these are the things that in our society that if we begin to reform the, the church, the home and the school, yeah, it, it will, it will, the, the outflow of the, this flourishing culture will come. So what I'm saying is that the center of that is worship. This recognition, 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 recognition. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. I'm headmaster of Providence Academy. Uh, <laughs> um, it is that then God's word is reforming it all, right? Yeah. It's, it's his word, right? So we, we talked about at the beginning, why, why flourishing yet burning and, uh, or burning yet flourishing the, the, the symbol of the, of the, uh, burning bush, right? Yes. It's God's word coming from that. And it, and it, it is the thing that, um, both illuminates us like this is, we see through his light, right? Yeah. God's word, God's, um, yeah. uh, uh, what God is saying to us, but it also is, uh, sanctifying us. It's a consuming fire. It, it, right. it will, it doesn't consume the bush. It will consume us, right? Yeah. <laughs> our, at least our sin. And so that, that idea of, uh, uh, burning yet flourishing, it's, it's really centered around the, the culture is centered around the word of God. So when we, when we talk about worship, certainly in modern times and throughout the Christian tradition, music has been an integral uh, form of worship. You know, how do we, as, as members of a Christian community, what are some ways that we can and should corporately worship God? Well, I think if you, if we look at, worship through the centuries in the early church, et cetera. Yeah. Um, all you needed for worship was God's word being read and explained mm-hmm. preaching. Yeah. And a response from the congregation that says yes. And amen. Okay. And then to take and eat of the bread and wine of the Lord's supper. Yeah. Communing with him. I mean, that's the essence of it. Um, and that's all you need. You don't need to sing. Mm-hmm. Right. So singing is an, an ornament in worship. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, please, please don't think that I'm disparaging it at all. <laughs> I love to sing. Yeah. I'm not good at it. But I love to sing. Um, and, and singing can be appropriate. Right. So he, here's where I'm going to say some hard words here, Noah. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Much of the worship wars were people desiring to sing the way they wanted. I like this kind of music. Therefore we need to do it this way or, you know, sticking your, you know, licking your finger and putting up, where's the wind blowing. Yeah. Okay. Here's what the culture is going. Let's try to imitate our culture and try to draw more people in as if that is the be all end all. No, the be all end all is the word of God. Is it being proclaimed truthfully? Is it being proclaimed accurately? Are we responding aright? Um, 
So that needs to be the center. Now, here's the thing. I, we're talking about corporate worship here, right? Like right. when we're gathering together on the Lord's Day. And, and it is my prayer. I'm, I'm hoping that our churches, especially those that are evangelical, Bible-believing churches, are actually reading Scripture and preaching what the Word of God is saying. Yeah. And, uh, and then we're responding to that rightly. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into sacraments that... Each individual church has the authority to, uh, you know, um, enact it as they as they do, um, you know, in terms of frequency and, and such. Um, but those are the, the main elements, right, is, is hearing the word of God, responding right to it in faith, which means obedience and then and taking and eating. Um, and, and what we need to do is is understand that that is the important part. And the ornaments to that, um, right? We talked about sin has messed things up. So in order to approach God, to hear his word rightly, we also should confess our sin. Yes. Um, so, you know, in our church, we have a corporate confession of sin uh, before we hear the word of God being proclaimed. Um, other churches might have the tradition. I, I know it's a uh, in a lot of the Baptist churches, the idea is, is that that's something that you should be doing at home before you arrive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's there's different ways to do it. The, the important thing is, is because of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, um, his sacrifice once for all, we have access to God. We can commune with him um, through that shed blood. We simply need to confess and be forgiven. Right. And, um, and it's not just one time it, it's true that in that one time that we can become justified, right. By yeah. coming to Christ and, and being justified by him. But, but as Jesus talked about, you know, when someone who's at a bath, you know, their feet just needs to be washed. They don't need to get right. Yeah. Right. So the idea is, is that as we come to church where our feet are dirty, we don't need a whole bath again. Right. But we need to clean up the feet whether you're doing that at home beforehand or you're doing it at church corporately, this gives us access and, and uh, to be before God, to hear his word, right. Uh, to respond. Sometimes we'll hear his word. We'll be convicted that, Hey, I didn't even know I was sinning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so part of that response might be confess, you know, once again, repentance and, um, and, uh, and going, um, before him. And, but the idea here is I, I want to say that it's not just at corporate worship, like this becomes the center of our, our whole life. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't that God put the trees on there on one day a week, yeah. <laughs> the, the trees were there 24 seven. Right. And the, the idea is then, um, you know, we're, we, we're not called to go to corporate worship every day. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a once a week thing. Um, but we are called as his people to continually be in his word, continually submit ourselves to Christ and his kingdom yeah. and, and to, uh, and to pursue things that way. So when I'm, when I'm, when I'm looking at um, reforming, you know, things like home and school, right. That, that idea is like, how am I, what is, what does God's word tell me ab about education? What does God's word tell me about um, being a husband or a wife, what yeah. does God's word tell me about raising children, you know, about education, all these things. And we should submit to that. Yes. And that's going to, that's going to change our culture. 
is starting with that, just that daily submission to God's word. And that's the center of all things. And that's going to refine us. It's going, but it's also going to enlighten us and it's going to cause us to flourish because God made the world good. I'm sorry. Very good. Yeah. How's the world now? Does it look very good to you? No. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So what's the way back? It's, it's obedience to him. Mm -hmm. It's, it's reforming things according to God's word. And that, and that's going to take, it's, yeah, here you go. People don't like this. <laughs> we have enough history of the church and of movements within our world. Um, the flourishing that can be taking place in a culture. Can it take a moment to happen that change? No, almost always it takes years of preparation. Yeah. And then God lights it on fire. Right. And then, and things just burn brightly. You know, uh, people say, okay, from the time Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg to the time he died 25 years. Right. It was, yeah. I mean, think of all, (laughs) all that, that one man, right. God used him to do all sorts of amazing things in just 25 short years. But the Reformation was only in certain places throughout Europe. Right. It, it, there wasn't anything huge and encompassing at that time. Right? That took that Reformation took over 100 years. Yes. Right. I, I would say that the, the, the biggest flourishing Christian culture we can look to um, for, as a product of that Reformation was the pilgrims. Right. If you look at or the Puritans, I'm sorry. Yeah. If you look at the Puritans and that and how they sought to live their life. Now, much of what people think and maybe our audience is thinking, well, the Puritans, I don't want to be like the Puritans. Well, they <laughs> burn witches or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most of what we know about the Puritans, I think, is from um, caricatures that people are putting to be against a Christian culture. Right. Yeah. They weren't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Right. As if Puritans were, um, you know, the idea of puritanical. Right. So they were no fun. They were dour. They were just right. That, that's not really true. They they knew how to feast and how to to do well. And, yeah. you know, the, are, were there problems sometimes? Yeah. But um, but it, but but it was really good. But it took 100 years or even if just think of the Protestant Reformation, it took hundreds of years and primarily through you'll like this ready through the Latin schools formed by the brethren for a common life, wherever they formed that started around the, what the 12th century, um, you know, 300 years later, yeah. Where those places flourished is where the reformation took off. Yeah. So what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is this, the reformation of our culture begins now but the, the flowering of it, the flourishing of it, the visible um, uh, glory of it might not happen in our generation. Right. right. So what we want to do, though, and what I'm encouraging us to do is commit ourselves to begin for our children and our grandchildren's sake. 
for our grandchildren's sake. I'll just put it there for our grandchildren. What if we decided to live our life and to do things that you with your newborn infant are going to dedicate yourself to raising that child and to, to recommit for that child's children. Mm. That's what we're doing. It takes time, right? Yeah. But let's start. Yeah. 